everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, now on Radio.com and iTunes, where it's all about everybody has a car story, from celebrities to car personalities. I'm Randy Cardoon. Now, it's labeled a reality show, but how real is the drama that spilled over from the TV show Fast and Loud to what is now Fired Up Garage, the home of Discovery TV's misfit garage tom smith and thomas weeks talk about their first car while one of them split a 67 ford convertible in two and what really needs to happen in the world of classic car tv but before that this podcast as i've mentioned before was hatched on a visit to irwindale speedway here in southern california to cover a celebrity car race in this edition we follow up on the big news that irwindale has avoided the axe yet another time as a new ownership group has now bought the Speedway and its drag strip. Tim Huddleston of High Point Distribution joins me, gives us a little behind the scenes of how that all came about. But first, it's the biggest movie of the season, and we here at Talking About Cars have the exclusive, I dare say the exclusive, celebrity interview of the season. All right, maybe it's not totally exclusive. Bob Beck, my pal over at the Great American Auto Scene, was also there as we go dueling questions at Fireball Tim's Wheels and Waves in Malibu, interviewing R2-D2. All right, let me make it clear. There may have been a slight language barrier. So tell me, R2-D2, is this your first car show, and what do you think? personally thought it was the green one. Where did you get your paint job? $29.95. Earl Scheib. Johnny Martinez is here, and I'm sure at one point, Johnny, uh, has have you been talked to about maybe getting some striping done? Well, there you go. See? I, I think that'll work. Well, good. What color pinstriping would you like? I didn't know that was legal in America. That's a color I haven't heard from since the Middle Ages. Now, do you ever get talked to about what you're wearing? Do you, i got to figure out what I'm talking to here. Are you sure? The legendary R2-D2, who has some real dirt on one of his co-stars, will ask it that. Is it a him? Ask it that. Coming up. Now, Irwindale Speedway. It was supposed to close January 27th of 2018 until just days ago, word came out just after Christmas that a new ownership group was going to keep it open. One of the owners, the main owner, if you will, Simi Valley businessman and former race car driver, Tim Huddleston, who's a race car driver himself. I started uh, High Point Racing, a driver development program, as a senior project in high school auto shop at university high school me and three buddies built a car in auto shop and uh took it out started racing and literally 27 years later we're still racing now what kind of car was that back in the day well back then it was a 69 chevelle we raced it out at saga speedway and uh built the car and we made it look pretty and shiny and set the tires at 32 pounds all the way around having no clue how to make a race car go fast, but we knew what the auto book, uh, shop tech book said, and it said set the tires at 32 all the way around, and boy, we, we had a fast education on uh, how to make a race car turn left, and did, that wasn't it. Did you <laughs> Now, did you actually have the original engine in there? So what were you running, like a, a 350 or a 327? That was a 350 Chevy, original motor. We uh, you know had an engine builder uh, hop it up a little bit, but it was original. 
And, of course, that really got you to a love of auto racing. And, uh, and Do you remember your first race at Irwindale? Uh, at Irwindale Speedway, I do. Um, you know, I, I started racing, you know, at Saugus, and then we went to Mesa Marin Raceway. And then when Irwindale opened in 99, you know, I was there for the uh, groundbreaking ceremony. Uh, Ray Wilkins the uh, and Jim Williams, you know, two wonderful guys that uh, literally built that place from the ground up, uh, invited us all out, and we were there. It was an amazing day. And uh, we've been there ever since. You've been watching what's been going on with who's going to own the place, who's not going to own the place. Is it going to close? Is it not going to close? I mean, this in itself has been going on for several years. And I guess somewhere along the line, you got involved and started thinking about yourself owning it? Back in 2012, when it, it uh, you know shut down the first time, uh, we were really, really close uh, to putting a deal together to operate it at that time. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Jim Cohan ended up getting it. And what a wonderful job he did over the last five years, you know, making it L.A.'s great place to race. Kind of carried along, did a wonderful job, and then uh, when the opportunity came, he called us to uh, pass the baton, you might say. How long ago was that then? Um, well, when we found out back in, in August that it, it was going to close, we really turned up the heat and started, you know, making phone calls and, and working with the landlords, trying to put something together to really save it and and keep it racing, and uh, we really got it finalized uh, Christmas Eve. That's pretty amazing, and what a Christmas gift to uh, race car enthusiasts all over the Southland and around the area, especially when they heard about it. I I'm, I'm wondering, though, what kind of process was this? Was this something that was slow and steady? Were there a lot of frustrations along the way? Uh, did you really expect to get it at the end? Was it difficult? It, it was definitely slow and steady. We just kept moving the project forward. Um, all along, you know, we really believed that, uh, that it could happen, um, keeping our fingers crossed, but not really knowing, you know, so there was a little bit of fear that, you know, man, could it, could it go away? You know, it'd be a devastating day for all of us, uh, racers in Southern California, but, uh, we kept at it every day. We tried to, to, to push the pile. I would tell everybody, just keep pushing the pile forward. And, uh, we kept pushing it. And, uh, when everything came together on Christmas Eve, it was a wonderful day. I got to make a, you know, some very, very special phone calls um, to uh, wish people Merry Christmas and give them the good news. Talk about that moment you realized that this was really going to happen. Well, I, you know, I, I'm not sure that it's 100% sunk in yet. Um, we're, we've literally, I, I've raised my kids at Irwindale Speedway. And, um, you know, a gentleman named Bob Rincotti from Sunrise Ford here in Southern California was, was very instrumental, as well as Ed Justice from Justice Brothers Products. So I have always, you know, made my livelihood and, and literally loved Justice Brothers with a passion. That's kind of what we do. And uh, Justice Brothers is a, a motorsports family. It's a motorsports racing company uh, that sells products, and so is Sunrise Ford. It's a racing family, and when we put everybody together, it made sense. Tim, talk a little bit about Ed's connection to this, because obviously a lot of people know Ed Justice all around in the racing community, and a lot of people outside may not know, although they know his products. When did he get involved? Well, actually, Ed was hel uh, helping us back in 2012, um, and Ed's always been just a, a, an amazing friend and mentor to me and, and, you know, helped us. I've been a Justice Brothers distributor for uh, about 17 years now, so uh, we've really worked together, and Ed's helped me with my racing program when I raced, and now that my son Trevor races, he's been a part of it. And uh, when my wife, Lisa, and I said that, you know, we really want to give this a run, you know, uh, Bob Rincotti and Ed were the first two phone calls we made. 
And Ed said, what can I do to help? And Ed's a, a really smart business guy, and he's really good at marketing. So he really lended his hand to the business model and, and you know, how do we, uh, you know, move this thing forward. And he really is uh, amazing when it comes to marketing. So that's kind of what he's going to really specialize in is our marketing side. I'm imagining the fact that you've seen this from a peripheral distance away, not only racing here, but seeing how other people operated it. And you probably had that secret list somewhere, the list of, you know, if I own this place, I do things a little bit differently. Can you share a little bit of that list, if it does exist, about things you would have liked to see done differently and now that you have the ownership you can do? Well, I've always been a fan of, you know, old school racing and making heroes and villains. And I want to try to create a show. I mean, if, if we got to put a little PT Barnum back in racing, you know, I'm the guy because I really want to, to, to put a show back on for the fans. And I want to make it really, really, really about the drivers. And, you know, we're going to, if they don't have a nickname, we're going to create a nickname because we want these drivers to be something special. Because when I was racing, it was, you know, Ron Orn Prosser and Wild Bill Foster. Those were the, the, the big names, but it was all about a show, and you wanted to go out to see what those guys were going to do next. So I want to really make the drivers a show. Sounds like roller derby, but motorized. There you go. That's it. Absolutely. <laughs> I can just see it now. Yeah. Well, that or a little bit of uh, WWE, that kind of wrestling scenario where you have bad That's guys. It. Now, how do you incorporate that? Because obviously, this is. You can't create scenarios because, in some sense, because this is actually a very tough skill. Driving is not easy, and then of course you're going to put personalities against one another. That that sounds intriguing, though. Well, they're they're out there. The those types of uh, situations are there in racing every day. I just want to spotlight the driver more and make it more about the driver, and and really do a lot of uh, you know pre-race excitement with the driver around him, his family, you know, what he's into, and really kind of just watch the show unfold and spotlight the exciting moments and really just make it something big. Uh, Did this happen or not? I I read somewhere where they were going to have a detailed press release that was going to come out yesterday. Did that come out? Uh, No, that should be following in just a couple of hours today. Ah, well, good timing on my part. (laughs) Can can, Can you give us a sneak preview? Well, it basically just uh, outlines that, that we'll, should have be released in our schedule. Um, we're going to run some stock car races. We're going to run some extra uh, events, you know, Night of Destructions, which are really big. You know, uh, Jim Cohan was able to build that into a phenomenal event, so we're going to carry those on. And uh, we've got some pretty stuff that we've got to get buttoned up here and uh, hopefully be able to announce within the next week. Big, big events coming to Irwindale Speedway. Especially, I know you want to get certain motorsports events coming out, certain kind of races that were going on, then disappeared for a couple of years, and now apparently I was reading somewhere where they they actually have some spaces on their uh, list of races that have a TBA on them, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that they'd love to put on your track. (laughs) We love those cars, Uh, now, I have one myself, so we're hoping to uh, make those announcements soon. How much is it with the family, too? I mean, the family, are they working with you on this? Like you were talking about your kids and how they grew up there. Did they follow and also race cars as well? I believe one of your sons raced cars for a long time. Absolutely. My son right now is the three-time California state champion. Um, he will be a huge part of it. 
Um, he's going to, you know, definitely work on, on doing some driver development and driver training and stuff at the track. My wife, Lisa, um, w- w- she is going to be a huge part of it. She's my business partner in the deal. Um, we're going to be working, you know, 50-50 side-by-side making this happen. Um, and uh, my, my daughter, Haley, is uh, just phenomenal at creating spirit and, and joy and getting everybody excited. She sings the national anthem, does an amazing job. And my little guy Tanner's got a whole uh, drone deal he's going to do and start putting the drone race, you know, uh, races and a video on them and putting that on the internet and all that kind of stuff. So it's really going to be a family affair. Um, you know, the Brancati family and the Justice family and, and our family are going to really, really work hard to make it a, a special place to race. Very good. Again, the last race is coming up under the current ownership, I guess you can say, the end of this month. Uh, when will races start, or will they just continue along their way once you guys take over? Well, actually, our our very first event is the day we take over, which is the Thursday night drag racing. And uh, Thursday night drag racing at Irwindale and at Irwindale Speedway has really been become a staple in Southern California. So we are really going to work hard on that. Um, we are going to do some track improvements on the drag strip. So there's one little uh, announcement I can uh, put out there. A lot of people are going to be really excited about that. You know, we're going to do some uh, a bunch of new pavement stuff there to really enhance the drag strip. Um, and then uh, our circle track racing will start the uh, third weekend of uh, March, and uh, we'll go all the way until uh, late October. Now I've read, obviously, it's been announced one year. I've read two years. I've read five years. What exactly is your deal covering? as far as length of time? Sure. It's a multi-multi-year contract um, that has lots of uh, ways to move forward, and we're pretty excited about it. So basically, it's probably going to be over two, maybe even if things work out, over five. That's the goal. New co-owner of the Irwindale Speedway, Tim Huddleston. All right, coming up, the guys from Misfit Garage. But first, more with our semi-exclusive interview with R2-D2 of Star Wars fame with our pal Bob Beck from the Great American Auto Scene. Of course, my big question. <clears throat> All right, well, we don't want to bother you too much, but we do have one last question, and that, of course, is give us some really juicy piece of gossip that'll give us a really good chance of getting some uh, good uh, time on social media with you. Give us some, just anything about what's going on in the show. Wow. Wow. Did you guys know that? Oh, absolutely. Wow. That's incredible. Well, thank you so much, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in your uh, next film, which, by the way, what is your next film? I didn't know Pee Wee Herman was making movies anymore, but that's good. Wow. Hey, I don't even think you're going to see that on TMZ. That's huge gossip. Whatever he said. The things you learn listening to the award-winning talking about cars podcast don't you think huh am i right or am i right hmm usually when spinoffs to a tv show happen it's usually somebody moves away from the original show their lives are encompassed in the new show well misfit garage began when basically certain workers at richard rawlings gas monkey garage in texas were fired now i caught up with tom smith one of the guys who got fired, and car dealer Thomas Weeks at SEMA in Las Vegas. So we started our interview with the first car Tom remembered growing up. It would be a 1968 Super Beat that my uncle had. And uh, I remember being in the uh, passenger seat, and uh, he uh, he taped a uh, $20 bill to the dashboard, 
and he said, if I can uh, grab that, I can have that. Sounds like there's something more to that story. Did you get it? No. And why is that? Because that the car had a little 440 in it that, uh, and it it, it it would put you in the in, back in the seat. Yes. And here I was, a little scrawny kid, trying to reach for that scratch and claw, and never got it. Never got it. Yep. That traumatized you at all? Oh no! I mean, just the sound of that engine and the acceleration, and like uh, you get excited and the spit comes out of your mouth and it's kind of like rolls down the bottom of your ear, down your back of your neck. Um, it uh, it. I'm, it, it's kind of like it, it stirred an, an, an awakening that I can only relate to um, whenever uh, you, you become like Super Saiyan or um, uh, the equivalent, you know, in, in Kung Fu, whenever he goes and sticks his arms around both ber- uh, sides of the cauldron of uh, molten metal and it singes uh, the... And you pick it up and you walk it out and then now there you're able to leave. It's, it's something similar to that. I completely understand what you're saying. I completely understand. Now, Thomas, I don't know if $20 was involved in your first remembrance of a car, but what, what was your first time you saw a car? Uh, the very first thing that ever stuck in my mind was my uh, cousin had came back from Vietnam. And when he got back, he bought a brand new 69 428 Cobra Jet Torino. And uh, he came over to show it to my father. And when he pulled in the driveway with it, you know, at that point I was eight years old. I was just completely blown away. You know, I was like, what is this car? Why, why do I love it? Why do I love the smell of it? Why do I, everything about it? And he says, let's, let's go for a ride. You know, he took me for down the street for a ride. And I remember it was an automatic transmission. When he hit second and it got a second gear scratch, that was it. I was hooked from that point on. Does that mean you're a Ford guy or does that mean? It just means I'm a car guy. I mean, all cars have got good and bad, whether it's Chrysler, Ford, General Motors, Studebaker, Oldsmobile, it doesn't make any difference. They all got good and bad products. But that just particularly was the, the first one that, that I ever wrote in that just, just sunk the hook in me as a car guy. It truly is. Tom, what was your first car? The very first car that I actually owned was a 73 Grand, Grand Am. And uh, I was 10 years old, and I'd been uh, mowing grass and uh, working at my uncle's junkyard in, in, the, in the evenings and stuff. And it was 300 bucks. It had, uh, had uh, the timing chain that where the plastic came off the, the gear and uh, spun the chain. And uh, my, my uncle, he uh, helped me tear it all apart and clean it up. And, and the minute that motor started... That 455, oh my God, and uh, and just uh, and like he, he was he was in in the car, and I got to work the throttle, and uh, and the hair sticking up on the back of your head, and and the uh, the the metamorphosis. I mean, every axiom, every DNA just tweaked a little bit, and and it was on, and then I'm I'm, I'm, I'm revving it, and. Uh, and uh, the hair's actually sticking up on the back of my head now, actually thinking about that pivotal moment inside of that garage and the, and the burst of fire coming out of the tailpipe and, uh, and, and uh, the, the rattling and the smell of the high-test fuel, and uh, it was awesome. That's pretty cool, Thomas. Was, the hair's really standing up. 
uh, his hairs were standing up. I was just sitting here looking at the back of it. I, uh, Tom, if he tells the story, I'll, I'll, I'll assure you it's not fabricated. It's okay. a real story. It may sound crazy and absurd, but it really isn't. He tells the truth. But I guess to ask me what my first car was, it was a 54 Chevrolet pickup truck that I bought from hauling hay for like $15. I hauled hay all summer and bought this truck. Didn't have a motor, didn't have a transmission, didn't have anything. So me and my father gathered all up the engine transmission. We just assembled this vehicle and it was a 54 Chevy truck. And I I, I would pay, you, everybody knows me as a car guy, buy and sell. I, I would pay blood to find that truck. So if anybody out there knows where that truck's at, give me a call. It'll be the once in a lifetime sale for you. It wouldn't be any of his blood. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great, though, and, I, and I, we had this conversation with the Wheeler dealers, of wouldn't it be great if there was some way to look up your old car? I mean, let's say you wanted to find that 73 Trans Am. Wouldn't that be cool if Texas or some other state, I know California, I don't think. You know, the biggest problem with that is that, you know, about every 15 years, the state sends a lot of cars into in the dead file, they call it. You know, if it hasn't been registered, if, it, if somebody's been currently driving it, all these years you, you possibly could trace it down but you got to have the VIN number now and I don't remember the VIN number never wrote it down don't have any any insurance cards from back in the day or nothing so you know you just it's just kind of hit or miss maybe one day you hope you run onto it and uh, who knows what happened to it it could be junk it could be scrapped it could be made into a street rod right out here at SEMA right now that, that I wouldn't even recognize it so you know but at the end of the day the memories of that car will always be in my head so whether I actually find the vehicle or not I've got all the memories and all the love and and the blood sweat and tears that I put into it in the back of my head till the day I die anyway so car that you've had you no longer have that you wish you could get back 1967 Galaxy XL convertible 428 police interceptor it was a uh, it, it was a built for a police chief in Dayton Ohio and uh, I broke it in half I'm sorry I thought I heard you say you broke it in half <laughs> I, I built the engine and and I did a whole lot of things. I had a couple people, and I mean, it was like the first block that I completely deburred, and and uh, I put the first set of roller rockers to go from Dayton, Ohio, to put on go on an FE motor, and and I had the hooker headers that wrap around the frame. I was racing this uh, guy down the road, and uh, well, in Ohio, the frames fill up with mud and crust and corrosion, and uh, and I'm not aware of. Uh, the how corrosion and mud affect the structural integrity of a frame so what i do to find out more about this is that i drive over some very bad railroad tracks at 120 miles an hour what happens is the torque box breaks at the first rail and it hooks the second rail the gas tank the rear end the drive shaft and the bumper all stay at the railroad tracks and uh and i uh, the, the car, the ass end of the car flies up in the air, and then I'm literally looking straight down at I know I'm dead because it's a convertible. The, the, the top ain't even up. So if it goes over, I'm just a grease smear. So the air catches it, it slams back down, I slide down the road about 100 feet, and I end up uh, in uh, this lady that uh, I used to mow grass, a Miss Weingartner, and, uh, and I'm just freaked out. And she goes out there and she goes, oh, dear. And I'm like, man, you baby. And I get out of the car. I have poop 
from my knees up to my chest where I knew I was dead. And you know, it's, just, it's the thing you do. And, and she goes and walks over to the garden hose and turns it on and uh, comes to me and just starts spraying me. And then uh, the police come. And, and then I learn about uh, full frames and how uh, whenever you don't wash out all the mud and stuff, how it can affect the structural integrity. And uh, if you do it right, you can have a near-death experience. A valuable lesson, no doubt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thomas, what about the car that you wish you could get back out of the car? My story's not quite as dramatic as Tom's is, but at the end of the day, I sold a Camaro, a 69 pace car Camaro, to, uh, uh, to fund some of my college education. And uh, that would be the car that I would want back. I wished I hadn't have sold it, but it was it helped with my education. My father was a veteran, so I, he didn't have much money to help me, so I had to get rid of that car. And so th that that would be the car that I'd most likely like to find and and, I, and buy back right there. I want to talk a little bit about the show because obviously I remember when the show just before the show happened, it was almost like a cliffhanger kind of thing where. One thing, one minute you're working for Richard in his garage, then you weren't working for Richard in the garage, and then the whole thing kind of fell apart from there. People were trying to figure out what was really going on. Uh, behind the scenes, did you really get fired? Did you immediately start working on this new thing? And, and did you even have an idea how the show would go? Who, who came to you about that second show? Um, Richard had fired me seven times for se seven different crimes pretty much you got to get rigged to it seven <laughs> fired seven times for seven crimes but uh i was actually out of there whenever we filmed Smokey and the bandit that uh richard did not want anybody to because there's allegations that i did that buford t justice pretty good and uh he didn't want me stealing his thunder so i had to go anyway so it was just uh, just nitpicking me, and uh, he made he, he made so bad working there that I didn't ever want to work on another car again. I didn't care. So whenever I got fired the last time, I was I was I was happy. I was the happiest day of my life. I went and uh, uh, I went home and uh, chartered a little fishing trip and went fishing for a week and uh, come back and uh, I started uh, doing drivability again. So I mean I I didn't care if I ever worked on another hot rod ever again. It was it was that toxic, that much not fun. I mean the coolest job in the world, and he managed to make it the most unpleasant job in the world. So how did you latch on with the new show? Um, they called me one day and say, "You be here on this day at this time, and uh, let's see what happens." I said, "Well, if I'm not doing that, now I'll uh, show up." And uh, well, I showed up. Rest is history, uh, Thomas. Your situation, uh, how it ended up, you ended up on the show. Well, I mean, I was buying and selling cars. I, I basically taught Richard and Dennis Collins the car business, and this is no joke. This is the way it was off off TV, away from TV, and uh, you know, so I was buying and selling a few to him on Fastlane. I mean, I did the the pilot show for Richard. He didn't even have a single car that day to do a pilot show for Fastlane. So I, I helped him with that, and we done that. And they were like, hey, you know, we, we, we think you're pretty good on TV and we'd sure like for you to be part of Fast and Loud. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that ever. 
So you're, you're just barking up the wrong tree and thanks a lot. And then, of course, the, the you know, the, 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 the situation where Tom got fired, where, where I was pretty much in limbo, was, uh, you know, buying and selling cars left and right. We had Jordan that was coming along with Tom and, and Scott, which, uh, you know, left us really quickly like he did fast and loud. And that's how it all got started. A whole bunch of us just got brought into a melting pot, per se, and thrown in there and said, hey, you guys make a TV show or, or, uh, or make it on down the road, whichever one you want to do. And so, hey, you know, there's been times when we've been told we ain't going to make it and you guys are, you know, horrible and we always seem to come through, you know. And the, the name Misfit Garage, I mean, how could it fit any better? I mean, really, seriously, we are a bunch of misfits, but at the end of the day, when it comes down to the complete, you know, getting down to the nut cutting or whatever you want to say about it, hey, we're going to come through with a cool car. And, and that shows up. It shows up on our TV show. It shows up on the street. It shows up to our, 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 you know, our fans and people that buy cars from us. So, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's crazy how so many other people get more, more uh, I guess, you know, praise than we do. But at the end of the day, our cars are better. They're built faster. They run better. They're, they're just better cars. You know? The, the storyline is more interesting. I mean, uh, Richard Rollins even went as far as uh, hiring a barbershop quartet to come up to the chart, and they were out there singing, Yes, you suck. You really, really suck. Oh, you suck. You really, really suck. Give up and die because you suck. And that. It's just, I mean, just inspirational stuff like that. They're not like taking that. us out. They're not taking us out. I've said it on the show. You ever watch the show where you see me say, hey, you know what? This is Fired Up Garage and we ain't going nowhere. Well, there was a hidden, you know, reason behind that. You know, there was so many times that people say, yeah, you guys get knocked off. Your cars are this, your cars are that. Hey, every time you'd see me say that, there was a, there was a reason I was saying it that day. Was there not, Tom? Yep. I mean, we've had a fork stuck in us so many times being told we're done. Yeah. Nope. We're not done. I'm, that fork stuck. No, it, we, ain't it, yeah, we ain't going down. No. Well, it's interesting because people actually have said, you know, I wasn't sure what to make of you guys because of the way it ended with Richard Rawlings and all that. Then they watch your show, and now they can't stop watching your show. Well, I mean, we're blue collar, man. We're we're the real deal, just like the people walking around out here at SEMA. You know, we we are the we walk up to those people. We don't hide behind buildings, and uh, you know, avoid our fans because without those fans, we don't have a show. Okay, and that's the way I say it. That's all there is to it. You know, we're not the stars of this. They're the stars for watching us. You know, all these people get their nose stuck in the air, these different celebrities, and, they, you know, they get off in a different world. You'll never find me, Tom, or any of us at, at you know, at Fired Up Garage acting this way ever. It, it's, it, we, we, are, we are humbled by the people who watch our show and enjoy us. We, we appreciate it, and we love you. We really mean that. So I get the sense there might still be just a little bit of – heat going back and forth between you guys a little bit of heat you, you're talking about fast and loud to us yeah. well you know there's always i don't know I, I gotta be honest with you i think we've passed those guys now and we don't need to look back there was a time when when yes you know they were throwing eggs out the window at us and and uh, you know bagging nails in the road to try to give us a flat tire or any way they could ambush us they would and uh, I, I think we passed up all that now. I think we're on the road to, to bigger and better and building more cool cars than, than possibly anybody on the planet can. Hey, come on, you know what? The underdogs, try, they do win sometimes. And this may be the, the wonder story that's really happened. I'm not kidding you. I'm gonna change gears right now, cause I mean, talking about Richard, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. anyway, since I've been here at SEMA, me, me and Thomas have come up with a, a phrase, a terminology, 
this is the freaking autotainment industry. And you know, with the autotainment industry, you know what you could have? You could have one wicked show a year where you have autotainer of the year. Because, I mean, this whole thing covers from F1 to farm truck. And with all this stuff all wrapped and with one single sole purpose, and that's wrapped around the automobile, the vehicle. And there's all, I mean, this, this, this is... This is ground zero for the Tom said, you know, industry you, you of the just, year. You just hit on something that I just noticed. Okay? You know, no matter what, we're all one big family here. Okay, right. we are. If you enjoy four wheels, two wheels, three wheels, uh, no wheels, little bitty model car wheels, it doesn't make any difference. It's, we all still have the same, uh, you know, a, a, affection for the for the vehicle and for anything with a piston or a jet engine. It doesn't make any difference. And like Tom said, one auto tainer of the year ought to be awarded not just the guy that bills over here you know the, the show autotainment that's what he's getting at that's what he was you know we were talking about earlier it, it, the, I, I think there ought to be a vote you know instead of a, a, a you know a, a, I'll, I'll go with that yeah. let's say you guys are in charge of autotainer of the year and who let's say would be your f top three autotainers of the year well, well, that'd be me, Tom, and John. <laughs> no, no, outside, outside of you know, and then and then it would grow, you know, and then then we like the Chip Foos, the Augustino, the Ken Diggs, you know, we would start talking to them and see if there's any prospect there. <laughs> But no, seriously, I mean, you know, besides if you asked that question, you caught me off guard. Never thought of it. You know, the, 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 the people ought to be able to vote for who the auto-tainer of the year is, okay? You know, and if Tom wins it year after year, well, so be it. Well, then that raises the bar for more auto-tainers to come and up their game for their shows. Well, it wouldn't just be like auto Okay, like, you'd have different categories, like, like the best pass of the year, the... The best crash of the year, the uh, the, the, the 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 best, best win best, going best. backwards. I mean, there would be something I mean, uh, like the here, most. Here, here, I got this one, Tom. You're gonna get the best fart of the year. Okay, now that will definitely be the way. <laughs> No, the, the, the fart of the year. Yeah. The best fart in a car of the year. Yeah. I mean, but Woo. I mean, I mean they would, they would. I mean, like, I mean, like you, you'd have all like the best street ride, and uh, it would, it would like. Yeah. Uh, I like this, and because it came up on my podcast, I think, and you ought to talk to Discovery about this, I'd like to host it and certainly have you guys on. I, I think it's a great idea. I mean, yeah, seriously, why, why, don't we, why, don't, why don't we do some shop work on this and see if we can't figure it out? I think, I think it's a good thing. I like it. It's a reason to get all these great people together, get a little drink going on, get a little uh, talking going on, and, uh, and I think it would be a lot of fun. What would make... An auto tainer of the year. What what would you look at? Um, there would be multiple categories. Like auto tainer of the year. Like who made the coolest car of the year? Right. So it's best car, best personality, best, best 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 car sale. Like I do, best car buy, best car build, uh, new you know best car, new paint job, new new idea. There's a lot of it's endless. Okay. Guys, we've come up with some awesome ideas here. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, uh, I mean, the, the best innovation in any, uh, like all the car technologies, uh, I mean, it, it would be awesome.
Uh, hello? Hello? Velocity? Discovery? Anyone else? Autotainment. I like it. Let's do this whole award show. What do you think? Do you like the idea? Hey, don't forget to subscribe to all of our podcasts here on our new home at radio.com. Or if you're listening on iTunes, you got to rate us. you got to write a review. One to five stars, by the way, if you're rating us. And tell all your friends about our show. Plus, you can listen to our original episodes, the first 93 of them, all the way through on Talking About Cars Classic on iTunes and SoundCloud. Now, if you follow us on social media on Facebook, keep in touch with us. You can follow us at Twitter, on Instagram, and watch our videos on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.